Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Well, finally something we can like is maybe the wrong word, but appreciate? I'm not even sure that's the word. When you're talking about Ted Cruz, uh, apparently in the middle of the night last night, well, you know, midnight, uh, or thereabouts, uh, Either Ted or somebody on his staff who has his Twitter password, which is kind of a kind of a dangerous thing to do, you know, sharing your Twitter password with people. But uh, apparently somebody liked some porn over on uh, on Twitter. This is this is really a non story, except for the fact that it's Ted Cruz. It's uh, it's it's very strange. This is awful loud in my ear. Just FYI. The Internet uh, discovered Cruz's, this from uh, the New York Daily News, an article by Nicole Hensley. The Internet discovered Cruz's vice just as the 16th anniversary for the 9-11 attacks come to an end on the East Coast. Uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'll have to do it during the break. The former state solicitor general in 2007, that would be Sticky Ted, tried barring Texans from buying sex toys by penning a failed argument that stretched for 76 staggering pages. Yeah, he doesn't want you to have a vibrator. Cruz's one-time attempt to prohibit sales contradicted what one witness had to say about the future senator's sexual encounters. His former roommate, Craig Manis, tweeted last year, quote, Ted Cruz thinks people don't have the right to stimulate their genitals. This would be, uh, I was his college roommate. And so, therefore, if he is, you know, watching porn on Twitter, this would be a new belief of his, Craig Mazin tweets. Eh. I'm not sure it's a story to lead the show with, although I just did, but it's, uh, what can you say about our news these days? Every now and then, you know, something a little light is, is you know, nice. Uh, the flip side of that is, the, I, I've, I've got a whole lot of stuff that here that's the kind of the, the, the flip side of light. An eight-year-old boy in Claremont, New Hampshire, a, a young biracial boy, um, was apparently lynched. Uh, in, in, now, this this is where it gets interesting because Claremont. Uh, you know, I used to live in New Hampshire. I've driven through Claremont a number of times. 
don't think I've ever stopped there, but I know where it is and I've been there. And it's a 98% it's a white town, as is most of New Hampshire. And uh, the police chief is not naming any of the people involved because the boy who was lynched is eight years old. He, he survived, by the way. He's okay. Although he's got giant rope burns on his neck. There's a picture of them that, that you can see over at blavity.com. Um, so anyhow, because they're all minors, the police chief is saying we're not going to name them and we're not going to confirm all the details. But then he speaks, and, and here's what apparently happened. Uh, the, this is according to the Valley News, the you know, local paper in New Hampshire. Uh, the boy's grandmother, Lori Slattery, said her grandson, this is the young biracial kid, and a group of teenagers were playing in a yard in their neighborhood around 5 p.m. when the teens started calling the boy racial epithets and throwing sticks and rocks at his legs. The teenagers said, look at this, supposedly putting the rope around their own necks, Slattery said. One boy said to her grandson, let's do this, and then pushed him off the picnic table and hung him. So they all said, here, you know, put this around your neck like I am, and then here, we'll put it around your neck, and then they threw him off. The boy swung back and forth by his neck three times before he was able to remove the rope from his neck. Slattery said none of the teens came to his aid. But the, the thing that's really shocking, or maybe, maybe shocking is the wrong word, and maybe we even need to have a national conversation about this. Because, I, you know, I remember when I, was, when I was a kid and I was growing up, now these were not, you know, racialized crimes, which this is, you know, makes it much worse. But, you know, I, I remember a couple of friends of mine getting busted down at the local Kroger for shoplifting. I mean, everybody went down to the, you know, to the Kroger. This is when we were eight, nine, ten years old and shoplifted. And they always got off with a slap on the wrist. Which is pretty much how we used to treat kids at least white kids. We tend to treat black kids very differently. We tend to treat them more like they're adults and, and more harshly. And, and this, of course, is nothing new. But in any case, the chief of police, when asked about these perpetrators, and by the way, they were 14 years old. The kid who got hung was eight. He said, these people need to be protected. Mistakes they make as young children should not have to follow them for the rest of their lives. You know, broadly, I agree with that sentiment. But, and, and I think that we are, we have gone way overboard. I mean, you know, kids getting arrested for bringing aspirins to school, kids getting busted for having a knife in their car that was just, you know, hey, it was there from, you know, the hunting trip two weeks ago or whatever. Uh, I mean, we've had, you know, periods of kind of hysteria in the United States around these things. But, but this is, you know, it's 2017. Even, well, you even have to ask the question, where did these kids get this idea from? Yesterday, I, I was talking about uh, uh, George W. Bush and his desire to get into a war in Iraq. And as set up for that story, I told the story of uh, Casey Sheehan, Cindy Sheehan's son. And I must have conflated a couple of different stories of guests that we've had on this program in my, in my memory over the years. I mean, it's been 15 years, 14, well, I don't know how long it's, how many years it's been since Casey died. I think it was in 2008, actually. So that would be around uh, nine years. But in any case, um, 
The story I told was about a kid who had to drive out to the airport to get his mail, and he got killed on the way. And I, I remember the mother telling us that story on the air. I thought it was Cindy. Apparently it wasn't, though. I uh, got an email from uh, uh, Joyce Lynn, who's a reporter, saying, uh, not sure where you heard the story you told about Casey Sheehan driving to pick up mail for, from his mother and being struck by an IED. But as Cindy told me in an interview, he was killed in a battle in Satter City, Baghdad, April 4th, 2004. Okay, so it's 2004. She reconfirmed this in an email today after I heard your account. I, I know you would want to be reminded of what happened. And then she says a link, sends a link to uh, PlumDreams.com. Um, thank you for that, Joyce. And my apologies to Cindy and anybody else associated with Casey Sheehan. I got it wrong. Um, it was, you know, it did happen. The mail was privatized. People did die trying to get their mail in Baghdad. It was just that Casey Sheehan was not one of them. I want to talk about the, the corporate state, as it were. There's a, a right-wing alliance that has been put together. Ed Pilkington uh, wrote about this for The Guardian. Uh, in fact, the headline of the article, this is from uh, the end of August. This is August 30th. Uh, the headline of the article is, Right-wing alliance plots assault to defund and defang Americans' unions. And uh, apropos of that, there's this group, it's called the State Policy Network. This is the, the new thing funded by the petrobillionaires. It's 66 state-based think tanks. They call them idea factories. They have a budget of, a combined annual budget of $80 million, according to this article. Uh, its slogan is State Solutions National Impact. And uh, as, as Ed Pilkington writes... The, uh, the group outlines an aim to construct a right-wing hegemony throughout the United States, working from the bottom up. To do that, it first has to sweep aside the public sector unions and their historic ties to Democratic and progressive politicians. And uh, how are they going to do that? They say, we have a once-in-a-lifetime chance to reverse the failed policies of the American left. We are primed right now to deliver the fatal blow to permanently break the, the left's stranglehold on our society. So what is that fatal blow? Well, it comes right along in the next paragraph. Big government unions are the biggest sources of funding and political muscle for the left and a major obstacle to the ability of voters to reclaim control of American government. To win the battle for freedom, we must take the fight to the unions state by state. Uh, they say the target of the union bashing, quote, is to defund and defang one of our freedom movement's most powerful opponents, the government unions. We're talking about permanently depriving the left from access to millions of dollars in dues. Since uh, Act 10, by the way, the, the, one of the first states they did this in was in Wisconsin. You know, Scott Walker basically criminalized public sector unions. It didn't criminalize them. He, he, you know, it was the right to work for less for public sector unions. You don't have to pay your union dues, but the union has to uh, provide you with services and has to provide you with legal services. So you can become a drag on the union. A financial drag on the union. That was called Act 10. And public sector union membership has dropped 40%. 136,000 people in Wisconsin who were government employee union members are no longer government employee union members. Uh, in Michigan, they, they, uh, the, the law went into effect in 2013, and uh, 30,000 people have left. 
And when they were asked, Matt Peterson of the American Tax for, uh, for Tax Reform, he was asked, you know, is, is it your war on the unions that's defunding the left? And he said, no question in my mind. Hard to fight when your bazooka's been replaced with a squirt gun. Right. The guy doing, the, the organization doing this, by the way, the uh, State Policy Network is a 501c3. It's an educational organization. Very strange. But finally, I just, I, I just want to share with you this one last thought, and then I'm going to get into some of the details of this. This is from uh, uh, Rise Up Times, an article by Chris Hedges. He says, it was inevitable that we would reach this point. The corporate state has seized and corrupted all democratic institutions, including the two main political parties, to serve the interests of corporate power and maximize global corporate profits. There is no justice in the courts. There is no possibility for reform in the legislative bodies. The executive branch is a dysfunctional mess headed by a narcissistic kleptocrat, con artist, and pathological liar. Money has replaced the vote. The consent of the governed is a joke. Our most basic constitutional rights, including the rights of privacy and due process, have been taken from us by judicial fiat. Economically marginalized, now a majority of the country, have been rendered invisible by a corporate media dominated by highly paid courtiers Portiers as spewing out, spewing out meaningless political and celebrity gossip and trivia as if it were news. The corporate state unimpeded is pillaging and looting the carcass of the country and government, along with the nat natural world, for the personal gain of the top 1%. It daily locks away in cages the poor, especially poor people of color, discarding the vulnerable as human refuse. So how are they doing it? What are the dimensions of this? I want to get into this in some detail here. Stick around. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. Woo. And uh, so anyway, so, some of these some of these stories here, the, the additional stories that I wanted to get into. This is uh, a nifty Catherine Rempel writing over in The Washington Post. This is a nifty little Republican trick to punish the poor and increase the deficit at the same time. Uh, this, uh, the Center for po uh, on Budget and Policy Priorities published this uh, on September 11th, yesterday. And uh, today, uh, or maybe it was yesterday, Catherine Rempel published her piece. And they're, they're basically both about the same issue. Do you know, I, not everybody's familiar with the earned income tax credit. The earned income tax, tax credit is earned because you have to work in order to qualify for it. And it's a tax credit because it means the government writes you a check rather than you writing the government a check. Now, the earned income tax credit is designed to basically make up for how terribly many employers in the United States pay their employees. If you are working and you are still living in poverty, then you qualify for money from the federal government. Now, I, you know, we can, we can talk about this in the largest sense. You know, is it really a wise thing that we are subsidizing, uh, you know, big corporations' bad practices, that we're basically subsidizing Walmart? You work part-time at Walmart, you, you qualify, in many cases, you qualify, or in some cases, you qualify for the earned income tax credit. Um, you also qualify for housing assistance, food stamps, you know, uh, and other benefits from the government. If we simply required employers to play a decent wage, we could do away with all of this. But we're not doing that. That's not even part of the discussion. So instead, 
You've got 28 million Americans who are getting the earned income tax credit. And the new Republican plan is to say, and it's being written in, apparently being written in right now, according to several different reports, into the Republican tax code, is to say, if you get the earned income tax credit, you will be audited every year. You will be audited. Which means 28 million people are going to be audited every year, subject to a, a mini audit, essentially. Which means that, particularly as they're cutting back on the budget for the IRS, means that IRS agents will not have this, the manpower to audit billionaires anymore. Isn't that brilliant? Help the billionaires, screw the working people, do away with the IRS, and all the Republicans get an extra couple hundred thousand bucks from the billionaire donor class because, hey, you know, they're making a million. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Call 202-808-9925. We'll be back with more and your calls after this. Did you know that NASA said, or the NTSA, excuse me, says that 94% of car crashes are due to human error and 60% are tied to and 60% of accidents are due to lane departure and lack of advance warnings. That's because only about 40% of people apply their brakes in car crashes and have enough advanced warning. Now there's an affordable anti-collision system that can be added to vehicles years 2000 or newer. The RD-140 by Safe Drive Systems. The RD-140 is a front anti-collision radar and lane departure system that works at night and in all weather conditions, also in the day when it's nice. It prevents up to 90% of potential injury-causing or fatal car accidents. It's like having an extra set of eyes in, in, in hard-to-navigate conditions and when drivers are distracted. It alerts the driver with an audio and visual signal when they're too close to the vehicle in front or when deviating from their lane. It gives up to five extra seconds of reaction time and is great for seniors and teens. Go to drivesafesystems.com. That's safedrivesystems.com to find out how to add the RD140 to your car. Use the code TOM, T-H-O-M, to receive free installation by a professional technician at your home or office. Currently available on a limited number of states. Go to safedrivesystems.com. Use the code THOM for free installation at safedrivesystems.com. Welcome back. Tom Harbin here with you. Okay, that earned income tax credit, this was started in 1975. And it was bipartisan. Both Republicans and Democrats supported it. The Republicans supported it because it was a way of making sure that people could be functional as workers, you know, keep their homes and their cars, or at least their bus fare, and the employers could continue to pay crappy wages, right? I mean, that was the whole point from the, from the Republicans' point of view. And from the Democrats' point of view, it was like, well, you know, we're not going to get the Republicans to raise the minimum wage, so the least we can do is throw some government money at people who are working at that minimum wage. So that's the, you know, it's both a and, and, and because in order to qualify for the earned income tax credit, you have to be working. It's considered a pro-work program, as well as an anti-poverty program, right? Makes perfect sense. So Catherine Rempel's uh, article about this in the Washington Post today, she writes, the language is vague, but appears to refer to a Heritage Foundation proposal. Oh boy, there they are 
that would require the IRS to, quote, fully verify income through a review of Form W-2, Form 1099, business licensing and registration, and relevant invoices before dispensing any refunds. In other words, a mini audit. Now, there is a problem with fraud in and related to the earned income tax credit. There actually is. But the problem, the fraud problem with the EITC is almost entirely limited to unlicensed fly-by-night tax preparers. People who say to very poor, you know, poor working people, you know, I'll do your taxes for you and I'll get you an extra 2000 bucks. Just pay me $500. And so they fill out the, the form and they request the earned income tax credit. The working person, you know, doesn't understand the vagaries and peculiarities and intricacies of tax code. And so they just sign the thing and off it goes. But that that accounts for the vast majority of tax fraud related to the earned income tax credit. And the Obama administration specifically asked Congress to modify the law around the earned income tax credit or, or, or around uh, tax preparation, rather, excuse me. To, to require licensing or at the least certification that could be withdrawn if in the event that a person commits fraud for tax preparers. There, there is apparently no such thing right now. In fact, the Trump administration asked for that authority as well. But Congress isn't going to do that. They're not going to do that. Instead, this is, this is like, you know, there's a fly in the house and it's bothering you. And so you grab a 10-gauge shotgun with, you know, double-aught buckshot in it and, and, you know, go after the fly in your house. Now, that would seem stupid because you just end up with holes in the wall and, you know, a dead fly somewhere. Maybe. Might even miss the fly. This only seems stupid if you're looking at it from the point of view of anybody other than a billionaire or a multimillionaire. Most billionaires and multimillionaires have fairly complex tax structures and make heavy use of the tax code. I mean, there's, there's tens of thousands of tax loopholes, the vast majority of which are designed for very wealthy people and corporations. And so, you know, they have tax preparers, actual licensed CPA tax preparers. But still, they commit fraud. You know, I, we, we still need to be auditing rich people's, you know, Income taxes, just like everybody, you know, everybody should be equally subject to this. But what the Republicans are doing is they're saying, no, we're going to take all those resources, all those auditors, not all of them, but we're going to take a good chunk of those auditors and all those resources from the IRS, which, by the way, we've been aggressively defunding. And we are going to move that to poor people or the working poor. And I, you know, frankly, I object to the phrase poor people in this context because Republicans love to trash poor people. If you say, and not just Republicans, you know, I, I would say, you know, even middle, by and large, middle class white people. This, this was the basis of Bill Clinton getting more popular when he, quote, ended welfare as we know it. Because welfare has, for years and years, among Republicans and conservative Democrats, been code for those people. Right. Those people of color. They're not talking about the white folks living in the holler in West Virginia. They're talking about the people in inner city Detroit. So let's go after them. 
instead of the billionaires. The Center for Budget and Priority and Policy Priorities says without a steep increase in the IRS budget, this proposal would require the agency to shift resources away from areas with a higher return on investment. In other words, you audit a billionaire and you find mistakes or you know fraud in their return, you get more money than you do if you if you audit somebody who made sixteen thousand dollars last year. Curtailing other enforcement activities and sharply reducing audits and other compliance activities aimed at high-income households and corporate entities suspected of tax evasion, in order to conduct many audits of all twenty-eight million EITC filers. This is mind-boggling. Now, meanwhile, Alex Jones has tossed something into the mix that I find very, very strange. I mean, very, very strange. The, what, I'm trying to think where to begin with this. Shall we go back to Kofefi? I think so, probably. You know, uh, Trump started tweeting uh, late at night one night, and all that came out was Kofefi. And there was a lot of speculation, you know, did he, did he intend to do that? Did he fall asleep doing that? Was he high? Was he drunk? How about he took a sleeping pill? You know, Trump famously doesn't sleep well. And when you're 71 and you don't sleep well, it can interfere with your ability to think during the day. But Alex Jones has got a whole new take on this. First off, he says that he has talked to people in the administration who are, he's, I'll quote, this is a, a direct quote from Alex Jones' show yesterday. He said, I've talked to people that talk to the president now at nine at night and he's slurring his words. And I'm going to leave it at that. I've talked to folks that have talked to him directly. Oh, when I talk like that, it just rips up my throat. Um, but he, he starts out saying, I'm putting my life at risk by telling you this. <laughs> I'm not making this up. And he says, uh, I was told this by high level sources and it was evident and especially after Reagan was shot his first year in office when he was acting like Trump and doing the things he never really recovered. And they talked about, you know, Jones talks about how they, you know, they they damaged Reagan after he was shot. Right. And and then they said they slow. uh, Alex Jones says they slowly gave him small amounts of sedatives. It's known that most presidents end up getting drugged says Alex Jones. Really? I know that George Bush Sr., when he threw up in the lap of the Japanese prime minister back in the, back in the early 80s, uh, or late 80s, excuse me, or early 90s, that, that he had taken uh, Halcyon, a sleeping pill. Because I remember there's a whole big thing around Halcyon at that time. 60 Minutes had done a thing. You know, somebody had killed somebody at, you know, on Halcyon. It's like one of these sleep drugs that produces amnesia. 1992, this was. Thank you, Trey. And uh, so, so yeah, I mean, you know, but, but, you know, most Americans, on, not most, probably, probably more than half of Americans have at one time or another taken a sleeping pill, particularly when they travel internationally. I mean, you know, when I travel internationally, I take sleeping pills and melatonin. I'm, it's just, it's pretty much, you know, the only time you do it, but, you know, it's just for a couple of days until you get organized with the time zone. But that's not what Alex Jones is talking about. He believes, well, in, in fact, here's what he says. He says, but I've talked to people, multiple ones, and they believe that they're putting a slow sedative 
that they're building up that's also addictive in Trump's, in his Diet Cokes and in his iced tea that the president, and that the president by six or seven at night is basically slurring the words, his words, and is drugged. Now, first they had isolated him to do that, but yes, ladies and gentlemen, I've talked to people that talk to the president now at nine at night, he is slurring his words. Now, if Alex Jones has talked to people who say that the president, that, that Donald Trump is slurring his words at night when they talk to him on the phone, if Jones is telling the truth, this should concern us all. Not so much the they're drugging him part. I mean, I'm not, I, you know, seriously, the idea that they're, that they're drugging Donald Trump's coffee. I mean, I, I remember there, was, there were theories about, you know, what's in Ronald Reagan's jelly beans, right? He always had a giant bowl of jelly beans there on his desk. And uh, I mean, there were some people who were speculating that all the high fructose corn syrup and the jelly beans is what gave him Alzheimer's, uh, which uh, is not impossible, I suppose. But, but uh, you know, what's going on with this? So Anyhow, these, the, the, a few of the things in the news. I, I haven't yet gotten to Richard Spencer and what's up with that. I think I'll save that for later on in the program. Um, the AFL-CIO has a major message out to everybody. I'll tell you about this. And why can't we just nuke the hurricanes? I'll tell you about that, too. Yes, the Weather Service has come out with an answer to the question. Stick around. We'll pick up your phone calls after this. We'll be back. Welcome back. Tom Harvin here with you and uh, Joe in Portland, Oregon. Hey, Joe, what's on your mind today? Uh, earlier, I, I haven't listened to much of your show today, uh, but I'm taping it. But the uh, deal with Mayan Rump, Mr. Rump, as I call him, um, mm. I don't think we should ever call him by his real name because I think he's a brain-damaged adult. But, uh, and no, I didn't vote for Hillary either. Uh, but point is, uh, his brain... Uh, when they did that Kofefe thing and the thing that Alex Jones was talking about there that you were uh, restating, uh, excitotox- you need to look up a book called Excitotoxins, The Taste That Kills by Dr. Russell Blaylock. And you'll find out that anybody who drinks uh, anything to aspartame in it, which is an excitotoxin, it's bad for your brain. And if uh, Mein Rump has been drinking that stuff for years, he would have been probably better off drinking booze. He's a Diet you know? Coke junkie, I think. Yeah, and, and if that's the case, his brain is rotted out from that. Just go look up the evidence. Go look up a book. It's called Excitotoxins, The Taste That Kills by Dr. Russell Blaylock. And you'll learn about uh, aspartame, which was who brought that around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Donald Rumsfeld. Donald Rumsfeld. Yeah, Rumsfeld was the president of Searle when they when they rolled that product out, and he was the guy who kind of, uh, from what I've read, uh, personally kind of walked it through the process at FDA or USDA, excitotoxins. Yeah, and it's so it's basically I think they put it in there. You now Alex, you know, this is kind of an Alex Jones style thought, mm-hmm. but he thinks that they threw it in the system to uh, just make people dumb. They couldn't put enough fluoride in the water around the country to, to dumb people down like Hitler did in 1933 and um, poison people's bodies, so they do it this way. By the way, if we... Yeah, need Hitler didn't need fluoride. And, what, and 
Hitler didn't need fluoride, and, and I don't know of any evidence that indicates fluoride affects mental functioning. But the go look up. Wait, wait a second. Go look up a book called "The Fluoride Deception" and yeah. you, uh, by uh, Christopher Bryson. I think is the guy's name. Look up the book. The fluoride. Deception. No, I remember the fluoride wars back in the seventies when I was in Michigan, and they were debating whether to fluoridate the water. Um, you know, I'm, I'm familiar with the arguments for and against fluoride. My my personal preference would be not to have fluoride in my water. But that that is not uh, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about Donald Trump being senile. You know, Trump has Alzheimer's in his family, um, uh, you know, which isn't necessarily a, a, a certainty or a curse. I have Alzheimer's in my family. Um, but that, you know, I think I'm still functioning. Chris, <laughs> I'm not as old as Trump. Uh, but but, you know, I, I'm guessing that he's just getting old, you know, and maybe they're intervening pharmaceutically to, to help him sleep. And, and that's slurring him up. But. I, you know, I'm not, uh, Joe, I'll look up the excited toxins. Thanks. Thanks for the heads up on that. That's fascinating. Uh, Mark in Portland, Oregon. Hey, Mark, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom, thanks for taking my call. Um, just to re relate the sentiments of uh, Trump going senile, this could also be moves that the Republicans are using. Maybe if they want him out of office, now they have an excuse to do that. Well, it could also but be, I mean, you know, Trump cut a deal with the Democrats a couple days ago. And now all of a sudden, Republicans are talking about Trump being non-compass menace. Maybe that maybe that's what it is. Yeah, I mean, that could always be an outlet. But uh, sorry, the reason I was calling is just to echo the sentiments that the, the masses are working. We need to keep sending messages, you know, calling, doing that and just sticking together, yep. you know, listening and re-echoing. Uh, Jeremy Rifkin, uh, great author, economist, philosopher type deal, wrote uh the zero, uh, zero marginal cost, um, the eclipse of capitalism, mm -hmm. and it's pretty much businesses trying to obviously maximize their profit by lowering their costs, and their marginal cost is what they're concerned about. But how with that and the masses sticking together, all these free sites and sharing co-ops with clothes or food and all sorts of stuff is forming. And in the end, eventually us sticking together, that obviously will fight out. So I yep. just want to say keep doing the good work. Amen. Appreciate it. Well said, Mark. Thank you very much for the call. Uh, Malcolm in Park Forest, Illinois. Hey, Mark, Malcolm, what's on your mind? How are you doing, Tom? Good. Uh, something this gentleman just before me said kind of irritated me a little bit. I understand where he's coming from, but uh, Trump uh, is evil. He has a rotten mind, a rotten heart, and a rotten soul. And uh, I don't care how much Diet Coke he, he drinks or any other chemical he ingests, he has a spiritual, moral, and ethical problem. The man is just simply evil. He's one of the most evil people to ever uh, occupy the Oval Office, and it's really scary. It's like a bad sci-fi horror movie come true, you know, where the aliens come down and take over the minds of the leaders. Yeah. I mean, I, it's so bizarre, I still have trouble getting my mind around this man actually being in the Oval Office. And yeah, you and much of the rest of America. I have to pinch myself, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I, you know, Malcolm, uh, evil is typically a word that's associated with, you know, religion. What, when you say evil, what do you mean? I mean, just morally, he is an evil person. He doesn't, he... So he's morally he's corrupt. He's of a person who is plastic because they have a neural, you know, uh, neurospinal neuro problem, you know, like that reporter, and you make fun of people like that on right. national television, you are an evil person. And the things that he wants to do, banning Muslims, that's hate. 
and uh, the uh, remark he made about the black guy, and, look at my African-American. I mean, the man is just evil. He's a racist. He's anti-women. He's anti-working people. He's anti-democracy. And uh, because of the foolishness of people in our party uh, living in la-la land, not facing the, the reality of the situation, we have an abomination in the Oval Office. Yeah. Although I'm reluctant to blame our party, I would much rather blame the media that gave Trump $2 billion worth of free airtime and talked about Trump's issues, immigration, trade, uh, all that kind of stuff. Talked about his issues all the time. And when they covered Hillary Clinton, A, they gave her a lot less airtime. And when they did give her airtime, all they talked about was scandals. And I, you know, frankly, I put the, the, the blame at our media. Malcolm. Welcome back. Tom Harbin here with you. And on the line with us, Professor William Black, professor of economics and law at University of Missouri, Kansas City, author of The Best Way to Rob a Bank is to Own One. Uh, professor Black is a former bank regulator who led investigations into the SNL crisis back in the 80s during the, uh, during the Reagan era. Uh, uh, Bill, welcome back to the program. It's been too long. It has. Good to be back. Thank you. And I should add, uh, the website where people can easily find a lot of your writings is neweconomicperspectives.org, and they can tweet you at William K. Black. And it's just all spelled the way you would think. Uh, so, uh, Bill, Equifax has released or has it got hacked, apparently, and apparently it was a hack that lasted over a couple of months. Um, and uh, several hundred million Americans' credit records got released. I mean, there aren't even several hundred million Americans in the labor force. Um, what's the story here? So it's only 143 million. Oh, okay. Thank you. I stand corrected. <laughs> but isn't the labor force 115 or 120 million? Uh, yeah, but more people can have credit cards that are in the labor force. Yeah, uh, for that makes example. sense. Yeah, spouses so. and older kids and stuff like that. Yes, it's the second largest, but it's uh, considered to be the worst in terms of the quality of the information that was turned over because the information, the largest was Yahoo, uh, but that didn't have as much commercially valuable information to the uh, dark web. So what does what, Equifax one. what did Equifax have? I mean, I, the, the obvious stuff, your, your name, your address, your social security number, um, the, perhaps the names of the institutions that you bank with, um, did they have things like your mother's maiden name? I mean, the typical stuff that's used to authenticate you to, to uh, financial institutions, um, the kind of things that if somebody was trying to steal your identity that they would use to open a line of credit or a credit card in your name. Uh, you know, how, what kind of information did Equifax have? Okay, so first, a note of caution, uh, one of the problems with all of this, and as an overall summary, Equifax is acting like someone decided to make a cartoon uh, version of a Marxist critique of capitalism, except that this one was authored by Equifax's management. So they're like cartoonish evil uh, and incompetent uh, and everything else uh, in the world. So one of the things is they haven't told us uh, exactly what happened. We don't know really what the nature of the breach of their security was. And we have very poor information other than the general fact that, yes, it includes this uh, commercially valuable information. Now, Equifax, most of us know, of course, as a credit rating uh, Entity. Right. One of the big three, along with Asperian and trans, whatever it is. 
Right. But it has a number of other lines, and one of them is exactly what you were asking about. It uh, basically sells these recovery services. And as part of the recovery service, if you forget your password or the sites crash and things like that, that's why they have those questions mm-hmm. that you provide security questions. answers to. That's correct. And so, yes, uh, those were apparently also some of the information uh, turned over. But again, I emphasize they haven't given us the critical information that we need. The bad guys know. And it will doubtless be all over the, you know, uh, the hacker community uh, exactly how they got in. But the folks who need to know, um, the security analysts of honest companies and people like us who might be victims, we don't know. What about the FBI? Well, the FBI is uh, going to doubtless start uh, an investigation. But this is the overall insanity of the system. This is... You know what the word "massive" was designed to describe: 145 million. Right. And they don't even tell you that you've been a victim. Yeah. So first, the penetration apparently began in mid-May and lasted for something like um, two and a half months into late July before they even discovered. That they were continuously being hacked. You know, it's amazing, Bill. I have I have uh, three credit cards. I have a personal credit card that I just use for personal expenses, and then I have two businesses. You know, one to do with the radio show, and one to do with my writing. And so I have a, a credit card for each of those two businesses for business expenses that I don't use that much, but you know, they're there. And all three cards between May and last month, all three cards were used fraudulently. None of them were out of my possession. You know, I got fraud alerts on all three and they had to issue new credit cards to me. Um, Could it be that that's a result of this hack? Again, they've had some of the information since mid-May, they being the hackers. Right. Uh, Then they turn around and resell it to others typically and sometimes use it themselves as well as selling it to others. Um, The bosses say that they didn't discover it till late July. Right after, uh, right after they'd sold all their stock, right? right or a bunch of their stock, yeah. Three um, uh, senior executives had sold stock. The largest um, sales, nearly a million, by the chief financial officer, who they are claiming was not told about the breach. Now, the chief financial officer is typically the number three person in the entire organization. Right. So if they had the second largest breach in history, the most important and destructive breach in history, and didn't tell their CFO about it, you know, that A is insane. And B, back to the comic book theme, uh, the CFO's name is the perfect uh, comic book villain His, for a CFO. It's Gamble. Oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. <laughs> okay, then to, to uh, rub salt in our wounds, um, uh, the, 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 the company came out and said, well, uh, you know, Equifax came out and said, well, yeah, we'll tell you if your name was in our database and got hacked. But before we do that, we want you to sign this thing that says that you won't ever sue us. In fact, you're giving up your 
is it the Sixth Amendment or the Seventh Amendment? I forget which one is the right to a to any, you know, any at any issue over ten dollars. You are entitled to a trial by a jury of your peers uh, in a civil case and uh, that you have to waive your constitutional right to a trial uh, to, to, to sue or to participate in class action. Um, do I have that right? Well, pretty close. So but the first thing they do, as we've discussed, is somebody engages in a lot of insider trading. Now, here I'm not talking about just the three executives who may have done so. Um, their option trading goes crazy uh, right at the time period where they inform senior management uh, that there's been a breach. Right? So that's almost certainly insider trading. And we don't know by who. The next thing, though, they do is they wait. They don't warn us, the public, at right. all. Right. They sit on this for weeks in violation of a number of state statutes and just let our information be exposed. And so the critical thing we haven't discussed is, you know, like uh, the New York Times treats this as Equifax customers. But, of course, we're not customers, right? We don't sign an agreement that allows them to gather information on us and create a credit rating. They simply do that. They do that with other folks. So they don't think of us as customers. Right. We're their product, actually. That's right. Except <laughs> that they said, hey, and this must have come from the absolute highest ranks of Equifax. Uh -huh. After they got done with the insider trading, which was, hey, this is an opportunity to make them customers. Right. We won't inform them, which, right, what would any decent person do? Hi, I screwed up. I want to tell you that, and I want to tell you that your information has been breached, right? right. Confidential information, so you can take steps, and I'm going to, on my own, take steps to protect you, and I'm going to bear the cost of that. None of that happened in Equifax. And by the way, let's back up. This isn't the first breach at Equifax. This is the third major breach in two years. So they were on notice that their systems were completely completely uh, inadequate to protect folks. And you'll love this line. They boasted when they finally, you know, over a month after they discovered it, told people about uh, the overall breach, they boasted that their core systems had not been breached. So God only knows what's in their core because it ain't us, the 145 million people. Yeah, that may well be the business information that's there, yeah, or maybe even just their information. information. on their own privacy. Right. We're talking to Bill Black, professor of economics and law at the University of Missouri, Kansas City, author of The Best Way to Rob a Bank is to Own One. Bill, we just have a minute or two left here. Um, what should people do if they think that their credit has been uh, breached? I mean, the first thing I did is I went to the Equifax website and I saw that click here and waive your right to sue. And I just said, screw that. And I closed the tab and I haven't, you know, so I've been, you know, what, what do you do? Uh, a, there's no good answer. Uh, B, you should do what you should do anyway. Look at your credit card slips really carefully. Right. Uh, I gather that uh, in your case, they had their automatic algorithms alert you to probable fraud. Yeah, in each one of those three cases, I got a text message on my phone. And that's often done by good companies, but sometimes they miss it. 
Yeah. Uh, and so you want to really look at those things. You can put holds on. You can put... A hold is only good for on. a week or two, though, isn't it? Yeah, it's worse than that. Um, they they also rolled that out. There's a new article in Wall Street Journal today explaining that they didn't even use proper um, numbers, uh, randomized numbers for that. They made them sequential. Oh, geez. <laughs> so this is, as I say, as if you tried to deliberately do the nastiest muckraking hit job on a private firm, except it isn't. It's all done by them. So, uh, yes, they tried to get you to waive. When they were uh, attacked by the um, federal regulators and uh, by Senator Warren. And in social media. In social media, then they started to do other bad things. Right, and pretty soon they're going to want to charge you, I'm predicting, to to fix your credit. (laughs) Oh, no, they're already doing that. Oh, they're already doing that, huh? (laughs) What a surprise. Bill Black. Bill, it's great talking with you. we got to get John more frequently. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. Take care. Uh, You can tweet Bill at William K. Black. And and his website, neweconomicperspectives.org. Learn all about modern monetary theory. We'll be right back. Hey, Tom Hartman here with the Tom Hartman Program. You know I'm serious about my health, and so I'm doing something for it. You've heard me talking about Super Beets. I'm drinking Super Beets, circulation superfood powder that helps support my heart and healthy blood pressure, too. I have amazing energy, amazing stamina as well. The New York Times calls Beets fitness in a glass. With Super Beets, I get all the benefits without the bad taste or added sugar. Mix it in water or a smoothie for a jitter-free energy boost. You'll love the taste of Super Beets and feel results in as little as 20 minutes guaranteed of your money back. Try the original berry or black cherry. I like them both. If you haven't tried it yet, now is the time. Only for the summer. You can try Super Beats, maybe the early fall here. Try Super Beats for only $5.95. Here's how. Call now and get a free box of Super Beats with 10 packets to try and feel the results. Plus two free indicator strips for monitoring your nitric oxide levels before and after taking Super Beats. It's just $5.95. You'll love the results. Guaranteed. More energy, more stamina, support healthy circulation. What are you waiting for? Call 800-568-9889. That's 800-568-9889. Or go to TomsBeats.com. That's TomsBeats.com. And welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. And uh, in, the, in the studio with me is Jason Kander, the former Secretary of State of Missouri, former candidate for, for the Senate from Missouri, and the president of Let America Vote, perhaps most consequentially at this moment. Let America Vote and the chair of the DNC's Commission to Protect American Democracy. Jason, welcome to the program. Good to be with you. Thanks. And I should add, if you want to track down Jason and find out more information about what he's doing, go to letamericavote.org and you can tweet him at Jason Kander. It's K-A-N-D-E-R. Jason, you were in New Hampshire this morning. I was. Tell me what happened. So the uh, president's, uh, I think they call it the Election Integrity Commission. I refer to it as the Voter Suppression Committee to reelect the president but it was having its most recent meeting up there. And uh, so there was a big protest and I was up there to speak. Um, You know, you've got Secretary Chris Kobach from Kansas who chairs uh, the president's bogus. Also runs the interstate cross check thing. Yeah, I mean, he's he's Mr. Voter Suppression. That's, I guess, what he's identified as his place in the world. And so he, uh, just the other day, falsely claimed that there were thousands of cases of, of fraud in uh, in the election in New Hampshire. And then they had this meeting up there. And so we were up there to point out a couple of things. One, it's good to remind people that the original purpose, the reason that this commission came into being is that the president of the United States told what I argue is the biggest lie that a sitting president has ever told, which is that three to five million illegal voters voted in the election, which we know is a complete and total lie. 
and then they had to put some theatrics together to try and sort of dress that up and make it look like the president didn't tell a giant lie. So they put this commission together. Well, that morphed into what they have now, which is uh, just a continuing part of the Republican strategy to uh, undermine faith in American democracy so that they can pass laws that make it harder to vote. Yeah. Troy, if you can get, uh, 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 yes, please. Um, this, this is not, you know, I, your, your theory that this started with, with Trump having lied is good. You know, I, I think that there's a lot of truth to that. But this is not a new thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, back in 1981, mm -hmm. back in 1981, uh, Paul Weyrich was helping run the, well, in 1980, actually, he was helping run the Reagan campaign. He was a major Republican strategist. He was the co-founder of the Heritage Foundation, a major player. And he was speaking to a group of Republican activists in a church in Dallas, Texas, and he said this. Now, many of our Christians have what I call the goo-goo syndrome, good government. They want everybody to vote. I don't want everybody to vote. Elections are not won by a majority of people. They never have been from the beginning of our country, and they are not now. As a matter of fact, our leverage in the elections quite candidly goes up as the voting populace goes down. All right. So there you go. I mean, and this is this is they've been doing this for a long. In fact, William Rehnquist, mm -hmm. you, you know how he made his chops in the Republican Party? Mm. It was in Arizona in the late 50s and early 60s. He would go to the polling places where the Native Americans and the Hispanics showed up. And he was a huge guy. He was like mm -hmm. 6'2", you know, mm -hmm. big guy. Mm -hmm. and, and back then he was in his 30s. Mm -hmm. And he would go to those places and he would challenge voters mm -hmm. in a loud voice. He was a lawyer, you know, and he'd say, mm -hmm. yeah, prove to me. And to the point that they would just scatter and right. run. Yeah. And and uh, not because they were illegal voters, but mm -hmm. because they were just so intimidated by this giant. And that's how Rehnquist made his chops in the Republican Party. And that was like in the 50s. Well, and the Weyrick audio that you just played uh, is from the year before I was born. <laughs> I mean, they've been yeah. doing this a while. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and I'm now the former secretary of state of Missouri, and that's from the year before I was born. And I've I've seen this up close and personal. Like Missouri has a, a GOP supermajority in the legislature. I was the chief election official there uh, for four years. And so they basically have a playbook that they run. And, and you know, step one in it is undermine faith in democracy. And then step two is you use that to create obstacles to voting. And then step three is you create obstacles to the obstacles. So what we're seeing with the commission is step one. What we're seeing with the you know numerous states around the country where they're proposing new laws, or even including in New Hampshire where I was this morning, that's step two and step three. That that's how this works, and it's pretty transparent and pretty un-American. Yeah, yeah. We've uh, we have a friend who is just trying to get his driver's license, just trying to get ID, and um, he couldn't get his birth certificate from California because he couldn't get the form notarized because the notaries here in Washington, D.C. have all been instructed not to notarize anything without government ID. And so here he is trying to get his birth certificate to get a government ID, and the notaries are saying, no, we won't fill out the form. It's like, and, and, and you know, the notaries have been informed, you know, don't do this for people. It's like, you know, and, and uh, I mean, it's mind boggling. Mm -hmm. It's just mind boggling. It's obstacles to the obstacles, right? Yeah. The, like, if, he's, if he were in a state that required that kind of ID, That'd be the obstacle. And then the obstacle to the obstacle is what you're talking about. So it's, you know, one of the best examples is a couple of years ago in Alabama, they passed a photo ID law, said, okay, you got to have a very specific form of ID that comes from the Alabama DMV in order to vote. Then they closed down the DMVs in the black parts of Alabama. Now that was during the Obama administration. So they stepped in and they, and they forced their hand and they undid a lot of that. But if they do that again in the Trump administration, there's no way it's going to go that way. I mean, Jeff Sessions has had the Department of Justice 
literally switch sides in the cases having to do with voting rights. I mean, the Department of Justice is now on the opposite side of folks who are fighting for their civil rights. Right. Hi, what is the legal basis of this? I mean, you know, in, in Bush v. Gore, uh, Rehnquist wrote, there is no affirmative right to vote for president of the United States in the Constitution. And of course, that's because of the Electoral College. But um, and, and there have been people uh, we've had this conversation on the show many times and people will call in and go, but wait a minute, you know, the, the 19th Amendment gives women the right to vote. That's a right to vote. The, the 14th Amendment gives or 13th or 15th Amendment gives African-Americans a right to vote or at least black men a right to vote. Mm -hmm. That's a right to vote. Are there not affirmative rights to vote in the Constitution? And and my response has always been the Supreme Court has not acknowledged that. Mm -hmm. um, but um, what am I missing? Here? Well, so look, I'm a lawyer, but I don't do the legal side of this right now. So, I mean, I'd love to give you an answer, but there are people who can give you better answers about that. What I can tell you is what the Republicans are trying to do is find any little string uh, that they can get it close enough to constitutional. And that that uh, alley to rundown has just gotten a lot wider. You've got President Trump appointing the judges. And as I said, DOJ switching sides. The other thing to remember is that's not where things were going prior to the election. You have Judge Posner, who you know is generally considered one of the most respected folks in conservative judicial philosophy, who was uh, on the appellate court that ruled uh, on the first voter ID law, the Indiana law. He wrote in his book that it's the it's the biggest mistake he ever made, um, you know, and so that's the direction things were going. And it obviously changed with this election. So, you know, you mentioned Let America Vote. I started it in February because traditionally what those of us who advocate for voting rights have done is gone to court and won more often than not. Not always, but but usually won. But that usually happens after the fact. The damage from the law has already taken place in an election. But the other thing is, when you have President Trump win, and now he's picking the judges, and Jeff Sessions is switching sides in the legal cases, what it meant to me was that the period of time in which we could rely pretty much exclusively on the court of law to fight this, that was over. And now there's a huge urgency to, in my opinion, expand into the court of public opinion. The legal challenges are still really important, but now we have to actually fight this politically as well. And so that's what, what Let America Vote is. It's the first organization dedicated to creating political consequences for politicians who commit voter suppression. That is great. And you started the organization? Yeah, we started back in February. We've been around, you know, a few months now. We've got 65,000 folks nationwide signed up to volunteer, raised a couple million bucks, um, and have been really active right now since the elections in Virginia or this November. Uh, we've had people on the ground in Virginia. We do uh, boots on the ground is really what we do. And in the last two months, um, we've knocked 135,000 doors in, in Virginia focused on um, mostly, I mean, the governor's race, because obviously the veto matters a lot for voter suppression bills, but also uh, a handful of state legislative races where uh, there are Republicans who I believe are very beatable and also voted the wrong way on voter suppression. I want Republican elected officials around the country to understand that there's no longer a consequence-free exercise. You know, you can choose if you want to make it harder to vote, but we're going to make it a lot harder for you to get reelected. And we're expanding to five states in 2018. Yeah, I mean, the reality is the voter suppression has been part of the American political scene literally from the founding of our country. Yes. And um, we, we like to think that there was this halcyon period where, you know, everybody could vote, but I don't think that ever existed. There has always been resistance to people voting. Um, do we need a constitutional amendment? Do we need, uh, is this something that Congress could pass at law to, to provide an affirmative right to vote? Well, first of all, or is that the Congress, ask another lawyer question? No, 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 this, this one I got. Um, Look, Congress uh, needs to actually act. I mean, look, the decision that the Supreme Court made regarding the Voting Rights Act was, I, 
I think, a big mistake, and, and it yeah. shouldn't have happened. Um, but what they did is they kicked it to Congress. And in the past, when Congress has reauthorized the Voting Rights Act, uh, it has happened without a great deal of fanfare. It's just something that they did because... Well, the last time it was reauthorized, it was like 98 votes in the Senate. Right, because American history has ruled on this. I mean, you know, this, is, this was not something that was a controversial idea, right? Uh, at least not anymore. Um, obviously, it, in, in its inception, it was. So first of all, they need to act on that. And the fact that they haven't demonstrates that this Republican Congress... Look, it's all part. There's a reason that when Donald Trump said that millions of people voted illegally, Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell didn't say, well, yeah, that's a lie. Because it it went right into their strategy, right? Undermine faith in democracy so that you can create these obstacles. What they want, I mean, this is the core of, of his reelection strategy for 2020, President Trump. It is, if you can make every state's voting laws look like Wisconsin's, he cannot be beat. That's right. That's, that's what this is all about. And so, uh, you know, there are things Congress could do. But what really what, what we need to do is we need to make sure that state by state where these obstacles are put into place that folks have to answer for them. I mean, you know, when you see Republicans uh, from vulnerable districts, whether it's state legislative or whatever, oftentimes when they break with their party, it's on issues where they know that there is an organized opposition, right, on the environment, for instance, or, or perhaps they'll, um, they'll stand with labor against their party because they know that there is an organized force that will show up against them in their next election. Well, that didn't exist until February when it came to voting rights. And, and that's what we're doing. We're making sure that they understand you can make the choice to do this if you want, but you may not be back here at the next legislative session because we're going to show up and beat you. We're talking to Jason Kander, the former secretary of state of Missouri, the president and founder of Let America Vote. LetAmericaVote.org is the website. You can tweet him at Jason Kander, K-A-N-D-E-R. Jason, we, we have a little less than a minute left. What would you like people who are listening or watching us right now to do? Ah, thanks. Um, they can go to letamericavote.org. They can contribute. They can sign up to volunteer. Um, you know, there are five states where we are uh, opening field offices in 2018. What are those states? Uh, Nevada, Tennessee, Georgia, New Hampshire, Iowa, all states where there's been, uh, you know, real voter suppression issues. So if you're in those states, certainly contact us. Uh, but if you're not, contact us anyway. Fill out the volunteer form um, because we're going to be uh, coming out soon with some ways for folks around the country to help. Not just, I mean, giving money is, is also helpful, um, but not just giving money, but, but other ways to help as well. Marvelous stuff. Jason Kander, um, check out letamericavote.org is the website. You can tweet him at Jason Kander. Also, you can tweet at Let America Vote. Jason, thanks, thanks so much. much. Appreciate it. Great having you in the studio. Enjoyed it. Coming up tomorrow, we'll have the latest news and information from Wall Street and Main Street, all points in between, plus the best of the rest of the news. And don't forget, democracy begins with you. Get out there, show up, participate, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.